You're listening to Circle of Hope's Sunday Meeting Podcast. This talk was given at 2212 South Broad Street. For more information, check out circleofhope.net or join us in person on Sunday evenings at 5 and 7 p.m. So when I think about this journey, I think it's this, it, it strikes me as this weird mix of stuff is happening to me that I can't control and at the same time, I consented to God's work in me, and I'm still making choices, and I'm still choosing faith. It's those two things are happening together for them all throughout the story, and I think that's kind of the mix of our lives, too. Um, there was plenty that they couldn't control at that time, um, and you probably know a lot of this story, but they they were part of a strange and pretty tiny and powerless little race of people within the maw of the Roman Empire, violent empire. And so they had to obey these oppressive laws. Um, like the time, it didn't matter that Mary was extremely pregnant at the time of the census. Everybody had to show up, and that was more important than um, whatever her health needs might have been. Mary and Joseph also lived under the religious law of their people. And I, I think that the, the religious traditions were actually a real source of comfort for the Jewish people within the Roman Empire. And um, so it was hard when, when uh, what God asked them to do even kind of kind of took them out of that sense of honor and family and sense of place that the Jewish people were, were cultivating together within their tradition. What God asked Mary and Joseph to do with this unplanned and various du- very dubious-looking pregnancy and subsequent lifelong journey of faith kind of took some of that, those comforts away. They kind of gave up their honor because... I don't think very many people understood or believed what was happening. I mean, how many times have have you heard, you know, God God told me to do it or something like that? Um, it it was it must have sounded really crazy. They gave up everything really um, that they had to bring this baby into the world. Their honor, their their home that they were going to establish with their people in that place. And they set their hearts on pilgrimage, like the psalmist says. They left what was secure and knowable and affirming to their sense of selves, and they followed God into this completely uncertain future. And I, I think that made them strangers in the world, like we were singing about. We uh, every couple months, um, the women get together, and uh, my friend Megan brought this song to the meeting this morning. Um, we met this morning, and I think the lyrics of the song kind of embody the kind of uncertainty um, that many people feel. I think that may or may not have been connected to how they felt, but. The, the song starts out, what if I forget the lyrics to the chorus of the song I wrote? 
What if my daughter gets a fever while I'm out here on the road? What if this kind of life I lead is damaging in ways I do not know? What if I can never find a place where I can truly be myself? What if I never chase my dreams and leave them sitting on the shelf? What if I already miss my prime and get passed by for someone else? And then, what if the world doesn't end when the fears come true? What if we have what we need to make it through? There is manna from heaven and mercies new. What if God is still here in the desert too? I think they sensed God's presence and leading with them in in this desert, but I don't think it was easy. And I think, uh, you know, knowing how much, uh, I think it was hard knowing knowing how much we like to plan out our lives. I certainly do like to have some kind of idea about what's going to happen. And so I I marvel at how um, birth, because I like life to be predictable, I marvel at how birth interrupts that sense of predictability. And so I think it's no coincidence that 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 birth, like actual physical birth, is like part of this story. Because birth is one of those things that you cannot control. You just really don't know how it's going to turn out. Even if you're like on the operating table in the hospital, the doctors don't even know. Um, There's hope for a healthy baby, of course, but the possibility is fragile. And, and it's, the process is messy and uncertain. Annie does this for a living. She could probably tell us about it right now. And once labor has begun, there's really nothing that there's, there's not much in the world that you can do to stop it once labor has begun. When I was in the early stages of labor with Corey, um, I thought I could squeeze in a little time at the park with Zach because it was summertime, and I always tried to get my kids outside as much as possible. And, you know, when when you live in the city, you can't, at least when your kids are little, you can't say, like, go outside. you got to go with them. And so we went to the park a lot, and... um, I sat on a bench and kind of watched him play, and when it was time to go, I stood up and realized that I could barely walk (laughs) at this point because the birth was, like, happening. And um, the contractions had gotten much stronger. So Jeff was at work, and we were trying to save his vacation time. And plus, I knew that if I called him, he would make us go straight to the hospital so I called my sister um, and her husband, and she came to the park and walked Zach home so that I could, like, slowly waddle home and stop and, you know, breathe when I needed to. Birth takes over your ability to do anything else, and it becomes the one thing that you must do. And Mary said yes to all that to focusing her life on this one thing. Um, But for her, I'm sure it involved shameful looks toward her growing belly, separation from her family, giving birth in an animal pen, becoming a refugee, and then even the horror of seeing her child die. And so I'm glad she was willing to suffer and Joseph with her to bring God to us. It wasn't easy. 
as most good things aren't the the um a lot of the people who wrote the bible wrote it in greek originally and they have these two words for time and i i love the distinction between them because i think um the word kiros that means time as like the movement of god that is happening right now is is like the that that sense of birth the word chronos in the greek is more about like you know like the clock the regular ticking of time but when the bible writers use this word kiros it means it is very much like birth it means like this thing that god is doing right now that needs to be done in the world that cannot be stopped and um it overshadows chronos time and it calls people into its movement and i think that is still happening the movement of god is still happening like that birth and it and, and it's and it's impending and it's coming upon us and we may as well just go with it but here's the hard part i think what's happening on kiros time is not usually that obvious um we have to we have to look for it and i think that's one reason that we we have this meeting every week so that we can take time to look for what god is doing because if we just look at what is happening on the surface of things, we're going to, we see a lot of trouble, you know? We have a lot of reasons to be dissatisfied. I'm like such an idealist, and I can, I can see 20 things a second that are wrong with the world or with me, um, but I'm learning to look for what's happening under the surface of things to notice the movement of God. What's happening on the surface is almost always troubling. There never seems to be enough money or good feelings for friends or partners. We're so prone to fear and worries about scarcity. And the, and the world keeps changing so quickly. When I think um, about the anxiety that people feel, I just think there's some relationship to the, the way that the world has changed so much, you know, like exponentially the past 10 years, the past five years. So I'm inspired by the way that Mary and Joseph kind of call us to hang on to, to each other and to their hope in God that somehow there's going to be, there's, there's going to be some sense made out of this craziness. You know, Mary consented when she said, I'm the Lord's servant, let it be to me as you have said. But I think that was just the beginning of her consent. I think in order to end up as the, the radical disciple of Jesus that she became in the early church, she had to keep consenting to God. She had to pay attention to some deeper invitations to consent. I don't, I don't usually get into sculpture very much, but um, when I saw this in Rome... Uh, in my early 20s, it just got to me. Mary's sorrow. Um, it means pity in Italian, the pieta. And it gets to me now because I can't imagine losing a child. I don't know how you keep on loving after that. But I noticed that her left hand, and this is like my favorite part of the statue, her left hand is not holding Jesus it's it's lifted up to God and I think 
I think that's the secret. She's not trying to hold it all on her own. She's asking for help, I think, to keep trusting, to keep on hoping. In spite of the unspeakable loss she's holding, she's asking God for help to keep on loving. So what moves Kiro's time now is love, because God is love. And I think that's the, that's the invitation that we have to get into. And the beautiful thing about, about love, in spite of all the mess in the world and in our hearts sometimes, is that if you make up your mind to love, no one can really stop you from doing it. No one. People could say all sorts of terrible things about you. They could treat you in a miserable way, but they can't stop you from loving if you've made up your mind that that's what you're going to do. I love this movie, um, Unbroken. It's a true story of this guy, Louis Zamperini, who was an athlete and kind of a kind of a rough dude who always got in trouble, but he had a spiritual experience when he became a prisoner of war. He ended up deciding to love and to forgive even the guards that would that would pick on him because he was a leader and he was um he was resisting the pool to get sucked into all the hatred and despair around him so at what so in this picture here the guard who hates him the most is um telling him to hold this beam and instead of buckling under it, even though these guys are, like, practically dead from, like, weakness and starvation, he lifts it. He lifts it up even further. And um, all his friends get, like, a little dose of hope in that moment. But uh, he ends up getting beaten by the guard for that, for that play. But he tries to even reconcile with the guard when he's let out of prison. And this is a true story. Um... He tries to meet with the guard to tell him that he forgives him. He's determined to love. And I think uh, Bethany and Chris in our congregation taking on the criminal justice system with, their, with our participatory defense hub are kind of like that. Um, every cell leader who invites that new person to the meeting you know, even though they have as many problems as the next person and are probably tired and worn out, they're like Louis Zamperini. Or, or it's like us making this building work for Circle Kids, even though we discover, like, a new problem, like, every other day that needs to be solved. Or it's like our Ridge Avenue congregation that grew this year. Our, our congregation birthed that congregation a year and a half ago, and... You might not know that this year they they are the congregation that, that grew and shared more money than anybody else, even though they lost two buildings that they wanted and they have to meet in this dinky little overpriced room with these fluorescent lights. They grew because they, they were determined to love. I think that's what we're doing. Love is on Kiro's time, and God's going to help us to love if we want to, no matter who tries to stop us. And of course, the perfect example is Jesus. 
they did everything to him. They beat him. They gave him vinegar to drink. They abused him. They put a crown of thorns on his head. They pierced his hands and his feet. But the one thing that they could not do was stop him from loving. He loved to the end. I think if we love with that kind of love, nobody can stop us. It's, I think it's why Paul calls love the perfect law of liberty. Because you're, you're the only really free person on the earth because nobody can stop you from doing what you want to do if you decide to love like that. That's why the Apostle Paul, the Apostle Paul called love the perfect law of liberty. I also think we've all gone through times in our lives, uh, maybe even this Advent, where we just feel like not loving. Um, maybe you have faced loss or challenges that have almost wiped you out. I, um, I had a moment kind of like that this year when I was bawling my eyes out to my spiritual director, and God reminded me of these words in Psalm 84 about being on pilgrimage and about our tears being transformed into life. Blessed are those whose strength is in you, whose hearts are set on pilgrimage. As they pass through the valley of Baca, they make it a place of springs. So that, so Baca means weeping. And so, um, I think it's this promise of uh, our sorrow being transformed into a fountain of living water that can that will come out of us and provide life for others. And I could sense that um, welling up in me as I prayed, and I knew it was beyond me. And I think. And I know that's not just special to me. I, I think it's in the Bible for all of us as a characteristic for anybody who's on a journey with God that, we, that, that God can work with our sorrow. And what often comes out of it is deep compassion for others that can transform the world. So I think Jesus invites us to share in his sufferings. And I think I think God was inviting Mary and Joseph into that even in the very beginning. And not because God, God doesn't invite us to share in God's suffering because he's interested in us suffering, but because he's interested in the sharing. Because he because he is Emmanuel, God with us. He wants to be with us and us with him as close as an inner conception that grows and produces new life. I love this little piece of inspiration by um, an old monk in the 11th century. And I love that this is, this is written by a man. But it's all about God being born in us like God was in Mary. I'll read it out loud to you. He who created you is created in you. And as if it were too little that you should possess the Father, he wishes also that you should become a mother to himself. Whoever, he says, does the will of my Father, he is my brother, sister, and mother. O faithful soul, open wide your bosom. 
expand your affections. Admit no constraint in your heart. Conceive him whom creation cannot contain. Open to the word of God an ear that will listen. This is the way to the womb of your heart for the spirit who brings about conception. So I think the womb, based on how we're wired in God's image, I think the womb of our heart is going to love. It's created for love. And Jesus gives us this, this command to love one another as he loves us. And it's, it struck me this week that like he's, he doesn't put it out there as an option or like a suggestion or a recommendation. He just says it. Love one another as I have loved you. Because I think he knows that if we love like he loves, the whole world is going to sit up and take notice. Because they don't often see that kind of love. You know, what we see around us is a lot of uh, self-serving kind of love, grabbing for things. But people need to be loved, and the and people who need to be loved are not far away from any of us. They're all around us, people who are lonely, not cared for, and desperate. So what I really want to say tonight is hang on to your hope. Stay in it like Mary and Joseph, even when you can't see in the dark. And you might feel like that this last week in Advent, I think, um, it, it, the season kind of ramps up and not always in a, in a way that feels good, but the joy is coming. Miracles are never obvious in the darkness and hardship of suffering, but that's the way they usually come. Your sorrow and loss can become a fountain of love, and nobody can stop you from sharing that because that's the purpose of God. I think that's what God is waiting for this Advent. That's that Kairos, Kairos movement that he started in the world through Mary and continues now through our body. Thanks for listening to Circle of Hope's Sunday Meeting Podcast. If you want to talk about it or get connected to a cell, you can find one under our Connect drop-down at circleofhope.net.